Tensions are rising as President Tsai Ing-wen gears up for two transits in the U.S. during her upcoming Central American tour. The Chinese Foreign Ministry has blasted the move as a ploy to promote Taiwan independence. The U.S. National Security Council brushed off the accusation, pointing to a history of similar visits by Taiwan's presidents. President Tsai Ing-wen on Wednesday attended the opening ceremony of an international sports expo. In just one week, she'll be setting off on her first international tour in three years, going on state visits to Guatemala and Belize, two of Taiwan's Central American allies. She'll also be making stopovers in New York and Los Angeles, and that's ruffled feathers in Beijing. We strongly oppose any form of official interaction between the U.S. and Taiwan, strongly oppose any U.S. visit by the leader of the Taiwan authorities, regardless of the rationale or pretext. China has raised strong objections to the U.S. side on this matter. The reported trip is not so much a transit, but an attempt to seek breakthroughs and propagate Taiwan independence. There's no reason for China to overreact. Heck, there's no reason for them to react. I mean, this is something that... Um, uh, that, as I said, uh, is commonplace uh, and has happened before, will likely happen again. It's personal, it's unofficial. There should be no reason for uh, Beijing to, uh, uh, to react in any way to this, uh, again, business as usual here. National Security Council official John Kirby said that every single Taiwan president had at some point transited in the U.S. and that Tsai herself had made six U.S. transits since her inauguration in 2016. He stressed that it was not uncommon for Taiwan's presidents to meet with members of Congress during their stays and that China had no reason to overreact to the transit. In related news, the American Institute in Taiwan has a new chairwoman, Laura Rosenberger, who was appointed after the retirement of James Moriarty. In a tweet on Tuesday, Rosenberger said, It's an honor and privilege to become the new chair of AIT. Looking forward to working closely with our friends in Taiwan to continue to broaden and deepen our close partnership at this important time. In another tweet, she spoke positively of a meeting with the AIT's good friend and partner, Xiao Bi Kim. Meanwhile, Xiao tweeted a selfie with the new and former chairs, all three wearing big smiles. With Tsai soon to transit in the U.S., another selfie may be on the horizon, featuring the president with her ambassador and the new AIT chair. Germany's Minister of Education Bettina Stark-Watzinger has wrapped up her two-day trip to Taiwan. At a press conference before her departure, she said that trips by German ministers to Taiwan could become routine. Let's hear from her. Of course, it is quite natural for us to work with partners like Taiwan, with whom we share many values. I don't think we'll have to wait this long for the next minister to come to Taiwan. Perhaps these visits will become routine in the future. Stark Watzinger is the first German minister to visit Taiwan in 26 years. On the first day of her stay, she signed a science and technology cooperation agreement with Taiwan, met with Digital Affairs Minister Audrey Tang, and visited Taipei's Confucius Temple. On the second day, she met Taiwan's education minister and toured Xinzhou Science Park. Her visit did not include a meeting with Taiwan's president or foreign affairs officials. All arrangements for the trip were made by Germany's representative office in Taiwan. Taiwan has announced another round of donations to help Turkey recover from last month's devastating earthquake.
On Wednesday, the foreign ministry said that 1.17 million U.S. dollars will go to the Turkish capital to provide hot meals for earthquake survivors. An additional 19 million U.S. dollars will go to humanitarian organizations to assist the vulnerable. Altogether, Taiwan has raised more than 40 million U.S. dollars for Turkey in combined government and public donations. I really appreciate I appreciate the people of Taiwan for giving so much assistance and love for Turkey. Turkey's de facto ambassador expressed gratitude for Taiwan's help in the aftermath of the earthquake. These moves, including donation from the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of the Taiwan, dispatch, dispatch of the search and rescue team, provision of the 415 tons relief supplies, and other forms of aid. The 7.8 magnitude earthquake on February 6 killed more than 50,000 people in Turkey and Syria. Taiwan was among the first countries to send search and rescue teams to help. Altogether, the Taiwan government and the general public raised 40.89 million U.S. dollars in relief funds, of which 20 million U.S. dollars were distributed on February 18th. As for the remaining amount, 1.17 million U.S. dollars raised by the government will be donated to the Turkish capital of Ankara to purchase food trucks to offer survivors a warm meal. Of the remaining funds raised by the general public, 5 million U.S. dollars will go to the Turkish Red Crescent Society, 5 million U.S. dollars to a national alliance for people with disabilities, and 9 million U.S. dollars to the Association for Solidarity with Asylum Seekers and Migrants. We are once again showing the world that Taiwan can help and that Taiwan is helping. The foreign ministry's relief fund is still accepting donations, and officials say more announcements will be made on how the money is distributed. The executive yuan is fast-tracking a monthly transport pass for commuters. So far, 20 of Taiwan's 22 cities and counties have joined the program. The transport chief is forecasting a summer rollout. Let's hear from him. The commuter circles we're more certain of are Taipei, New Taipei, Jilong, Taoyuan, as well as Taichung, Zhanghua, Nantou, Miaoli, and Tainan, Kaohsiung, Pingdong. We're expediting the entire effort. Generally speaking, our target is July. We are aiming for a July launch. These monthly transport passes are set to hit the market in three major commuter circles as early as July. The executive yuan will shoulder the cost of upgrading card reading systems to accommodate these new passes. For transportation networks overseen by local governments, the executive yuan pledges to cover 90% of the expense. The local governments can meet a specified deadline for the modification. The executive yuan will subsidize the entire cost. One university in Taiwan prepares culinary students for the world of work by producing pop-up restaurants. The students of culinary arts at National Kaohsiung University of Hospitality and Tourism must open a themed restaurant in a classroom before they can graduate. Not only is it a big challenge, it's also a celebration of what they've learned. Professors say it introduces them to lots of aspects of entrepreneurship before they enter the workplace. Students present their dishes to the university's president. This inviting restaurant is a graduation project. 
推出不同的主题。They come up with four different themes each year. The four themes are all very creative and highlight the quality of the food and its flavors, as well as the distinctive qualities of the ingredients. Chicken is drizzled with pollock rose sauce and then blowtorched. This is an upgrade on the classic guabao. The students take the utmost care with every step of the project, from designing the menu and handling the front of house and running the business, to create this mini pop-up restaurant in the university. At first, our ideas didn't totally fit together, and it was quite difficult to coordinate and communicate. But later on, earning lots of money became everyone's objective, and we completed this project presentation together. You can actually learn a lot in the planning process about starting a business and stuff like that. It was an experience. Basically, we get the students to try out the whole process of starting a business before they graduate, and they get to know all the various aspects of that process. Four teams of students produce four restaurants with different themes and simulate the running of a real business in their classrooms. The university hopes they will take those skills off campus and thrive with them in the big, wide world. Registration has opened for the 6,000 NT cash handouts from last year's tax surplus. On Wednesday, signups were limited to people whose ID or ARC numbers end in zero or one. As of 4 p.m., more than 830 people have registered. District offices and household registration offices around Taiwan have set up special counters to help people through the process. If you decide to sign up there, remember to bring your ID or ARC, as well as your NHI card and bank account details. Parents and guardians can also complete the registration process on behalf of children 12 and under by presenting the minor's NHI card. Southern Taiwan is facing stricter water rationing amid a worsening drought. The government has placed Gaoshong on an orange alert, up from yellow. This means that starting next Thursday, water users that exceed 1,000 cubic meters a month will need to achieve a 10% reduction, or risk a supply cut. This restriction is already in place in the neighboring city of Tainan. Farther up north, the drought is less severe. Although the government is bracing for a turn for the worse, it has placed Xinjiang, Miaoli, Taichung, and northern Zhanghua on a green alert, which means that water storage levels are below normal. In these areas, water pressure will be reduced during off-peak nighttime hours. In industrial centers. Users must cut their water consumption by 5%. Leading think tank has released a gloomy economic picture for the year ahead. The Yuanda Polaris Research Institute expects the nation's GDP growth to contract to just 1.91% in 2023. This projection is lower than the central bank's rosy estimate of 2.13% and the statistics agency's estimate of 2.12%. The think tank cited faltering demand in manufacturing and exports amid aggressive rate hikes by the U.S. Federal Reserve. Although inflation has been moderating in recent months, the process of getting inflation back down to two percent has a long way to go and is likely to be bumpy. 
Two weeks ago, the U.S. Federal Reserve reaffirmed its hawkish stance, saying it was committed to getting inflation back below 2 percent. But since then, crises at Silicon Valley Bank and Credit Suisse have put the Fed in a precarious position in which it must balance inflation control with calming the financial markets. With all eyes on the Fed's policy decision on Wednesday, the reaction of Taiwan's central bank has also come under focus. The U.S. Federal Reserve aggressively raised interest rates by 4.25 percentage points last year, and the repercussions will first be felt by the financial market. The economic downturn will accelerate and the unemployment rate will rise. It could take one or two years or more to recover. In the second half of this year, the U.S. will likely maintain its current stance as it monitors the market. If it does lower interest rates, it would more likely do so next year. Aggressive rate hikes have been felt in the global economy, with Taiwan's GDP contracting by 0.4 percent in the fourth quarter of last year. For the year 2023, Taiwan's statistics agency forecasts growth of 2.12 percent, while the central bank estimates 2.53 percent. But the Yuanda Polaris Research Institute is less optimistic, projecting just 1.91 percent. Manufacturing and exports will face strong pressure and inventory adjustments. The government should roll out support and stimulus measures to cushion the blow, it says. Service prices have risen, and we need to monitor the effects of the April power price hike. Exports dropped by about 18 percent in the previous two months. The central bank is unlikely to raise interest rates this quarter. The upcoming cash handouts and rent and some other subsidies, these measures can boost the GDP to an extent. Experts say the upcoming 6,000 NT cash handout will lift the GDP by 0.2 percentage points. They say such measures can help to shield Taiwan against the headwinds of inflation and rising interest rates. Today, we take a trip down memory lane with a look at an item that's now in decline, the phone cart. Our older viewers will remember the days when paying for a call at a phone booth with a phone cart was a normal event. Now, younger viewers may never have laid eyes on one, but for many people, fond memories of youth are inextricably linked with phone cards, whether calling family while on military service or sneaking out of the house to call a sweetheart. Stamp collector Xu Yaofang brings out a pile of his phone card albums. Flipping through the pages of the packed albums, memories come flooding up. In the old days, if they released cars related to the 12 animals of the Zodiac or the National Palace Museum, people would be lining up on the street to buy it the day it came out. Back when lots of people were collecting, there must have been hundreds of thousands of collectors. Phone cars like these used to ignite buying frenzies. They once came in all kinds of designs to cater to different tastes. For collectors, they're an instant reminder of their youth. I used to call my sweetheart with it. It was convenient during military service. If you had 100 NT, you could just use this card to make phone calls until it was used up. I use this phone card for long-distance calls. Messaging technology is constantly evolving, from beepers to flip phones to smartphones. These days, public telephones and phone cards are on their last legs. Almost nobody uses them, but they still have a special place in the hearts of some users. Cell phones are more expensive. If I want to have a long phone call, the phone card is more convenient. Nobody I know uses them. In this age of ubiquitous internet, the public phone booth is in terminal decline. But cars like this still ignite passionate memories for many former users. 
The 2023 Zhuzihu Kela Lily and Hydrangea Festival has kicked off and will run until mid-June. During the festival, there will be a series of DIY activities and even Kela Lily picking lessons. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang takes us to a Kela Lily water field in Zhuzihu to learn how to make a bouquet from hand-picked flowers. Before heading into a Kala Lily field pond, you will have to change into this frog jumpsuit and rubber boots. Once you're all geared up, you can go to the water fields to pick Kala Lilies. I'm currently at a Kala Lily field in Zuzihu. Kala Lilies bloom here every March and April. After changing to this outfit, you can come down to the fields and pick Kala Lilies. The first step is to enter the field. After finding the flower you want to pick, lunge with one foot forward and then slowly reach the bottom of the flower stem and then gently pull the flower out. Here at this color lily field in Zuzihu, flowers are already in bloom. This color lily field began 50 years ago. Visitors can get a lesson from the owner to learn the basics of how to correctly and safely pick color lilies and return home with their own color lilies. When you find a flower you like, lunge and move slowly to the end of the flower stem. Instead of grabbing the flower and pressing it down, reach down till your hand touches the water. Then hold the base tightly and then pull up. When you pull it up, you have to make sure you stand firmly on your feet. Our field has a history of about 50 years since my father first started it. We used to cultivate calla lilies with traditional methods, but now with my daughter we are improving our methods and transitioning into eco-friendly farming. In the past we used chemical fertilizers and pesticides, but now we don't use pesticides and it's organic. March and April are the peak harvest period for calla lilies. It is now the blooming period, so the blooms will get better and better. This year, the owner of the field has also designed several installations and seats for people to snap photos. There's a mirror to create a reflection of the mountain and pond if you snap a photo. Many students have come to catch a glimpse of the beautiful blossoms and pick their own calla lilies to take home. When you step into the pond, it is full of mud. It is a very special feeling. I was very happy. It's a little soft when you step into it, and you can't really lift your feet up and walk around, but it's fun, and the flowers are very beautiful. After picking color lilies, you can also make DIY souvenirs to take home. Visitors can also participate in a DIY flower arranging class by wrapping their hand-picked calla lilies and other flowers into a bouquet while enjoying some afternoon tea. Lu Pingfang, the daughter of the owner of the field, offers DIY courses inspired by her experience living in Italy for 13 years. When you come to class, there will be a small welcome gift and a small snack. After picking calla lilies, you can eat the small snack and wrap up the bouquet. The Zuzuhu Kala Lily and Hydrangea Festival has already kicked off. This year, the festival features activities across more than 30 farms in Zuzuhu. For the first time, the organizers have also combined the Kala Lily and Hydrangea seasons together to prolong the festival till June 18th. The Taipei city government encourages people to take public transport to Zuzuhu during the festival period. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Li Yihan in Taipei. Visitors to the indigenous village of Alang Ronggen in Nantou are in for a special surprise. 
a pair of chefs, mother and son, have invented a new local classic dish. The butternut squash bowl uses local vegetables and herbs, and it's a filling meal all in one bowl. Even local officials are heading over to Renai Township to try it for themselves. Nantou Deputy County Commissioner Wang Rei-de is delighted by this unusual dish, the butternut squash bowl. The scent of the egg is mixed with the sweetness of the butternut squash. It's sweet, light and silky. The eggs are steamed inside a hole in the butternut squash with a sprinkling of chopped prickly ash leaves for seasoning. This is the Wang family's special recipe. Mother and son work together. He carves seeds out of the squash while she picks the prickly ash leaves. They get eggs from their own home-raised hens. The stuffed squash go into the steamer basket and come out ready to eat. It looks simple, but the recipe is full of local ingredients and thoughtful details. The idea is to put our own local grown produce on the table. It's a way of sustaining life. Mrs Wang has run a restaurant in Renai Township for more than 20 years. Her son, Wang Xiaoliang, grew up with an interest in cooking, but chose as a young man to make his way in Thailand. Just as he was about to open his own restaurant there, his mother got sick. He gave up his budding business to come home to his family. In Taiwan, we say filial piety is very important. So I was struggling to establish something, and in the middle, I decided to give up that chance to work abroad and come home to Taiwan. That sacrifice allowed new doors to open for the family. Mrs Wang recovered her health, and mother and son jointly invented the squash bowl recipe. The flavours of their hometown have become a family project, warming visitors from near and far.